are listening to The Pilgrim on the 405 with Will Christ. Join him as he and his guests discover how businesses thrive in California. Well, welcome to The Pilgrim on the 405. We're going to have a great conversation today, very, very timely with with Ed LaFrance, who is the uh, VP for Business Development for Datacate uh, in Rancho Cordoba. Uh, and 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 uh, tell us a little bit, Ed, about what Datacate does for small businesses. Thank you, Will. Uh, Datacate is an is an internet uh, solutions provider and a managed services provider rolled into one. And what that means is that we provide business um, technology solutions to companies where we uh, both furnish the services, the underlying services, we're not reselling other company services. So we're sort of like an AWS and an Azure, also rolled in with a company that provides IT support and a managed technology. So we're sort of a one-stop shop for small business to get everything that they might have to otherwise get from five or six different vendors. Uh, and our typical customer is less than 100 employees. So we've tailored our solutions to be um, ideal price point and service-wise for very small businesses. Good. So uh, are you national, regional, local? Where's your uh, Where's your market? Our, our market for that type of service is typically regional to the Northern California area. Uh, obviously, because the internet spans globally, we can provide service uh, to pretty much any location. Uh, but we do find that uh, our the primary customer base is, is within a 100 to 150 mile radius of us. And I think that's more just a matter of people feeling more comfortable keeping keeping things local. Sure. Well, let's, uh, one of the things that, that's on my mind is, you know, with with the cyber hacking that's going on, it just seems that it's continuous. And, and most small businesses, especially the, you know, 10 to 250 employees, that's not something that, that they spend a lot of time thinking about. But it's very easy for them to be hacked and uh, and uh, have all their files locked up and have a ransomware demand, right? Absolutely. And you're right that the typical um, methodology employed by a lot of small businesses is just let's pray it never happens to us because they're not really sure in a lot of cases how to approach that problem uh, in terms of uh, mitigation or prevention. Um, it's kind of scary, as you know, because there's so much um, in the news every week about that. And it has escalated since the pandemic hit uh, and has continued to grow. So uh, your typical small business owner is kind of getting bombarded with news about hacks and compromises on the daily. Uh, It almost seems like it's unavoidable to them, I mean, think maybe. And they're also looking at scant resources and saying to themselves, well, how can we spend a bunch of money on security when we're already stretched to our limit with our existing IT budget. We, we take a, an approach with that that's more holistic in that we don't treat uh, cybersecurity and protection as a silo. We make it part of our solution. So when they're getting service from us, they're also getting cybersecurity and, uh, and disaster recovery as part of the solution that's just baked into it. So that All makes right. it something, a way that so they let can me get ask. it. Let me ask. If, yes. if, I'm, if I'm your client and I... You know, I, I have the cybersecurity and and uh, and the restoration service. Am I secure? You're secure in the sense that you have um, substantial and robust protection against compromise, and then 
there are these things called zero days where a new exploit is discovered. Uh, and before there's an opportunity for the vendor where the exploit lives to patch it uh, or to come up with a preventative measure, some compromise can take place. Uh, and of course, there's always the human factor that there's not a lot you can do to prevent someone from go visiting a, you know, a, a website where they download something that could look like a legitimate software or, or game or something, but it contains a, a malicious payload. And if they find some way to bypass protections, then you could get infected. But the second piece of that is disaster recovery. So our technology allows the customer to literally turn back the clock to before the compromise happened, restore to that point. That does mean that they could potentially lose a little bit, but it minimizes their loss. Maybe they lost 12 hours instead of everything, which is obviously... But, but I'm not subject to a ransomware to unlock my computer system. Right, because you can basically roll back the snapshot to before the compromise occurred and then address how the compromise happened, which could be uh, some new exploit that has to be patched, or it could be that somebody did something to bypass security, which is, you know, the human factor is always an element that we're dealing with when we're working with clients. And so there's education involved in this, too. I mean, everyone works with somebody, right? I mean, everybody has some sort of uh, of uh, connection to the internet. So what is it they need to be looking for to make sure? I mean, does every uh, internet service provider have that kind of cybersecurity and, and, uh, and restoration as just part uh, of the package? Not necessarily as part of the package, but you know, they are getting more and more into it. Uh, even at the residential level, you're seeing more uh, ISPs roll out uh, uh, sort of an integrated security uh, and uh, disaster recovery solution, but a lot of them still don't. And especially in the business world, if you're getting like business class connections, everything's a la carte. So unless you're paying for it, typically you're not getting it. That does have to be addressed. The customer has to take it on as their responsibility. And that can be as simple as just working with a company that has a very forward thinking and, and uh, proactive approach to security and making sure that uh, so they make sure, in our case, we make sure that the, the customer is getting uh, the best security they can get as part of the solution. Uh, I use time, uh, Apple Time Machine. Is that a sufficient restoration? Uh, so Time Machine is uh, is basically a rollback technology that uh, that Apple offers. Yeah, in the sense that you know, there's a moment in time where some if there's if it's a crypto locker like ransomware ransomware or something else that's happened to your system, there's a moment in time before that happened that if you roll back to it, you've removed the immediate consequences of the infection. You haven't necessarily removed the vector, the the method all the method by which the infection happened. If it was a, a compromise that came from uh, a, a a hole, a programming bug. Uh, or some other vulnerability, then that has to be addressed too. So the first step is get get your data back and get it in a, a form that you can use it. The second step is figure out how the compromise occurred and fix that problem so it doesn't happen again. The good news is that we've only had a handful of those situations where someone's actually had a compromise and we had to do a rollback. Uh, if you properly implement security, minimize your attack surface, um, which is what we do for our customers as a matter of course, then you have right there greatly reduced your chances of being a victim of, um, of any kind of cyber attack or compromise. And then, of course, as I said, we have the disaster recovery methodology there in the rare event that it. Well, if, if it's that simple, 
why this colonial pipeline, wh- why were they so vulnerable? Why are, what's going on with that? Because it sounds to me like proactive uh, cybersecurity would stop that kind of intrusion. I agree. And I haven't studied the colonial pipeline uh, situation too closely other than just the, the screaming headlines about, you know, everything that happened. And, and I believe were, was it their case where they said they paid out millions in ransomware and then they, it was tracked down subsequently is because they paid, right. Bitcoin, which is right. surprisingly not as private as it's supposed to be. Um, but in that case, it was a good thing. Um, you know, it is difficult. So this is where you need technology experts. What I'm talking about, uh, basically capturing snapshots, what we call continuous data protection, um, doing it at scale, you know, doing it a thousand times X is different than doing it X. I mean, there you have to have built that infrastructure so that no matter how you expand and scale, you can still protect your data. I don't know if they did it or didn't. I do know that for a much larger company, it's a much bigger deal to restore after uh, a compromise that crypto locked or, or shut down systems than it is for, say, one of our customers who might have 10 or 20 people involved, you know, having multiple thousands who are locked out of systems and restoring their service. It's a bigger deal, but it should still be doable. Um, they were down for, I think, about a week. Maybe yeah. that was the window to restore. Um, so I don't have that data, so I don't really want to say one way or another, but it is, it's, it's, it's not about colonial. It's not sure. specifically about them. But, it, you know, when, when you look at at, at all of the uh, with solar winds, that the large number of uh, even government offices that were affected. I mean, it's it's it just raises the question, why? Why aren't we locking the doors? Yes. And that is the key, because the best possible solution is to never be in that situation in the first place. Because once you're there, uh, it is difficult. It's always going to be, there's going to be some amount of pain. Even if you've minimized the amount of data loss, you still will have some data loss. It's unlikely that you would capture something immediately and have zero data loss. There will be some. More recently, you've probably heard that the, um, the hackers have gotten a little bit smarter because they realize that their targets are getting smarter. They're doing things like continuous data protection so that if they do get a compromise, they can say, okay, well, we'll just roll the clock back and start from there and then we'll fix the hole. So now the hackers are basically threatening them, blackmailing them saying, well, we've got your data. We, we locked it, but we've also stolen it. So you've got uh, copies you can't use. We've got copies of it we can use. And we're going to throw it out there on the internet for everyone to see unless you pay this ransom. So now they're extorting them uh, with the threat of making the breach public and exposing all kinds of compromised personal data unless the customer uh, pays the ransom or the, the victim pays the ransom. So right. Right. that's but, another level. And that just means the best thing to do is to harden your security to absolutely minimize your chances of ever being in that situation. Hardened security is like locking the front door. Yep. Multiple padlocks, multiple keys. Why is that not happening? You know, I, I wish I'd, I, I had a good answer for that. Um, because the, the true answer is there is no good reason. Because as we see, when we read the headlines about the latest uh, major breach, uh, it's catastrophic. It, it, this should be a focus of a lot of resources and a lot of time to make sure that these kinds of things don't happen yet they continue to happen uh you know the conventional wisdom would be that 
uh, IT security is that thing that nobody wants to spend money on and they don't want to think about it until it's too late. And I think there is still, that is still part of the mentality. The other thing is that it is always a game of, of being ever vigilant. I mean, we create a, a lockdown, what we think is a very secure lockdown situation today. In two or three months, there may already be exploits and workarounds that have been discovered and are out there in the wild. So you have to be constantly abreast of what's going on in the, in the realm of cybersecurity and compromise uh, in order to be able to stay on top of it. And that takes more resources and it takes more time. It takes, it takes personnel, it takes time, it takes money. And, um, you know, I, I think there is some reluctance to spend that money, but the companies who have been through that, of course, they're never reluctant again, but of course, then the damage is already done. Well, and, and you mentioned before, some companies using the, uh, the strategy of we'll pray about it. Uh, prayer it doesn't cost a lot until it doesn't work. Right, right. Prayer is free. <laughs> And it's you could say you did something right, but yeah, then it, then it becomes a very expensive, cheap solution. I agree. So now, uh, for for the, the, your your ideal client for you know companies with less than two hundred and fifty employees, that's not an exorbitant cost to put multiple padlocks on the front door, is it? No, it's not really. Um, there is a lot of existing methodology that is very um, effective. At, it doesn't require a lot of fancy software, hardware, or a lot of expensive um, expertise to do these kinds of things. Uh, there's a variety of methodologies that can be employed pretty easily. A lot of this is already built into a lot of the uh, technology that these companies are already using. They just haven't enabled it, taken advantage of it. And that's one of the things that we help companies do. And then we do some things um, like here's just one, for instance, we maintain uh, what's called a blacklist community. And what it, what a blacklist community is, is actually a, a, a set of communities. These are um, ranges of known IP addresses that are operated and used by uh, hackers and cyber criminals. So they come out of a lot of the areas of the, of the world where a lot of this activity goes. They've been identified on in various databases as having those kinds of activities. And so we just simply block all that traffic completely from our client's network. It's just called a blacklist subscription service. We roll it into every offering that we do for our customers who do this kind of stuff. That traffic can never even touch the edge of their network. It's completely blocked, far above them. So they're just protected from ever even being exposed to that kind of traffic. Uh, occasionally, a customer needs a small hole opened up for a legitimate uh, remote host in that region. We can do that on a case-by-case -case basis. But just doing something simple like that that, that makes them invisible to the majority of the uh, nefarious actors out there. And it's a very easy thing to implement. But most companies probably aren't doing that. Is there a business? Are there people knocking on small business doors and saying, we could do an audit of your security? You know, we could test your front door. Uh, is, is that a business out there that's worth... It's actually in. one of the things that we do uh, when we're looking at engaging new prospective clients is just to have a conversation about what are you doing now with your security? What, a lot of times they're like, we don't know, <laughs> which is generally, excuse me, means, you know, they're not doing much, but sometimes it's getting to the right person. But we do, we have that conversation and then we can do, uh, and we usually do it for free, a simple vulnerability scan. We can target, uh, you know, their, their, the WAN side of their, um, their gateway you know, which is where all their traffic goes in and out. 
uh, if they have like an online uh, presence or application. A lot of a lot of people operate like a uh, their own software as a service or portal for their customers. We can check that, uh, and these these are being checked against hundreds of thousands of known uh, vulnerabilities, exploits, uh, weaknesses that are maintained in huge databases that are updated. So. Uh, it, it's all automated, but we come back with a, a pretty simple report saying, okay, here's where there are some weaknesses and they're ranked, you know, by this is just informational all the way up to this is critical. You should fix it right now. And a lot of times the fixes, nine times out of 10, it's just updating the software or service that they're running or making a slight configuration change. And that closes that hole. Uh, but this is the kind of un, unsexy, unglamorous detail work that uh, a lot of the times just never, they never get to it. You know, small businesses, I think are even, it's funny, we hear about the big exploits all the time, but I think small businesses in a lot of ways are even more vulnerable in this respect because they're generally so stretched in terms of manpower and resources to do this kind of stuff. And I think the only reason that we don't hear more about them suffering the consequences is that the, the hackers go for the big targets because that's where the big money is. Uh, if they can get, you know, and I'm, I'm afraid we're going to see more of this as hackers get more sophisticated, they'll be able to more effectively collect a lot of little payouts from smaller businesses versus big payouts from big businesses. And then you're going to see a lot more small businesses suffering compromises. Well, for my clients, you know, my clients are 10 to 250 employees. I mean, I'm an EOS implementer, the entrepreneurial operating system. Are you familiar with that? I'm sorry. Could you say again? Are you are you familiar with EOS? Yes. The entre yes. entrepreneur. All right. So that's what I that's what I do, and and my fellow implementers, and we generally have twenty to somewhere between twenty and thirty clients each. And I'm wondering if that's not something that if, if there's not a place where we could say, unless you are absolutely certain that you are invulnerable, you should talk to Ed. Is that could could they? for instance, talk to you and have that vulnerability check Absolutely. without feeling like they had, you know, that they had uh, all of a sudden obligated themselves to make big switches in their internet connection. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah, they could absolutely, um, I'd be happy to talk to anyone. That's what I do. I mean, most of what I do is have conversations. When I'm, I'm not peddling so much as I'm just talking to people about uh, what they've got going on now and what they like to see change, where their pain points are. So, yeah, we could have that conversation. Our, the, the basic vulnerability scan will do up to three points. It's for free. We give you the report, and there's no obligation, as you said. They can fix it themselves if they want. The report explains in a lot of detail exactly where the issues are and what you should do to correct it. And anybody with a moderate amount of technical skill can do it. So, that they can walk away with that and use it however they want, give it to their IT guy or whoever takes care of it. And we're happy to do that. Um, you know, it, I think better security um, benefits to everyone. So this yeah, is kind of yeah. give back. And we're always happy to have a further conversation about some of the services we offer that enhance uh, security and how they could use those. I mean, that that's just an interesting piece to, you know, to, to talk. I mean, there's, there's like 400 uh, uh, implementers out there, uh, working with with your ideal client i mean there are you know 10 to 250 employees and it just seems to me that that would be really important for for us to be asking our clients have you taken a look at your cybersecurity? do you know what that would mean and uh if you haven't here's a place that you could go to at least check the vulnerability that you have 
Yes, absolutely. And it is an important conversation. And uh, it's like, you know, would you launch a business without getting, you know, GL and, and other business insurance that you need? You know that you're spending the insurance money uh, in the hopes that you never have to use the insurance. That's what all businesses hope. You never want to have to be picking up the phone and saying the building burned down or, you know, we, we've got an, you know, you know, lawsuit. Uh, but you need to. It's, it's part of the due diligence of being in business. Cybersecurity these days is, is an incredibly critical part of the um, due diligence of being in business. Absolutely. I would say that that should be a conversation you're having uh, routinely with any business who's looking to succeed and, and to, you know, to survive, uh, to weather the storm. Because again, sooner or later, everyone's going to get touched by this. Um, you know, we've, we've had plenty of uh, attackers attempt to penetrate our network, attempt to attack our clients. Uh, we see that traffic all the time. We monitor it. We get alarms when it goes off. I can, I can assure you uh, it's going on all the time just because yeah. you're, you're not, just because you're not hearing about it. Uh, all the, all you hear about are the successes. Believe me, the attempts are a million times more frequent and they're constant. But the, the hacker is not sitting there punching buttons. The hacker has an automated Oh, yeah. process to just simply go through IP addresses, correct? Yeah, yeah. bots and scripts, uh, crawlers out there are just, just walking IP addresses, you know, running uh, a very sophisticated series of, of vulnerability tests, you know, working on, you know, being able to pull all kinds of information that you have no idea that your network devices and your, and your network is even giving out. They can, they can find out what kind of computers you're running. They can find out, you know, what type of, uh, firewall or routing device or, you know, what you, if you're running, you know, web applications, you know, what kind of services you're running to support them. There's a lot of information they can pull and they can use that and it's all automated to determine, okay, based on that, what we see, what we have out here, let's do these series right. tests right. and see what comes back. Maybe there's a hole somewhere. And it's amazing how often they find some low hanging fruit and, you know, one, one vector is all that's needed to get in there and then they can do it. And, 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 and so it, it, it's it's similar to uh, uh, somebody just walking down the street, turning doorknobs, right? Yes, right. And, and it's not just uh, not just one person. It's not there. just yeah, right. But it's yeah. not just one person. It's lots of people walking down the the, the street, turning doorknobs or or pushing a remote button. But yeah. it's you know it's not like somebody had to have it in for the company. It's that they're on the internet and with an IP address, it's like the telephone book. And we're just going through every one of the numbers in there to see who picks it up, see who's yeah. vulnerable. Absolutely. It's, and, you know, checking for windows that are not locked and things like that. And it's, it, it's a business. I mean, I, I've been in this long enough that I remember back when the first virus was actually developed and, you know, it had to be spread by floppy disk um, and, you know, in the early days of, of hacking and, um, you know, developing viruses and worms, it was all about bragging rights. And occasionally it was about revenge. But really, it's all about money now. This is a business. Uh, it's a criminal enterprise. It's nothing personal. It's just if you are, you know, in their minds, quote, unquote, dumb enough to get caught out, then they're going to shake you down uh, for some serious money. Yeah. Yeah, well, I want to come back, uh, if you can stick around for a little bit, but come back after a uh, short break for the commercial. And and I want to ask you more about what you see coming in the future for uh, small businesses and uh, Internet technology. 
Okay, great. Traction Tools is the EOS software for visual collaborative problem solvers like you. Built to manage each key component of your business, including vision and traction, data, people, meetings, and even process. The new digital whiteboard helps you illustrate, communicate, and work together throughout the decision-making process. And our new document drive makes file sharing even easier. So, if you want to save time and reduce repetitive tasks with easy automations, you really should take a look at Traction Tools and their EOS software. Sign up for a 30-day free trial at MyTractionTools.com. That's MyTractionTools.com. And now back well, to our back. show. Well, we're back to talking with Ed from um, Datacate in uh, Rancho Cordoba. And we're talking, uh, we've been spending the first part of our time talking about how important it is for small businesses to have those doors and windows locked on their internet connection because it's not a matter of uh, somebody has it in for you. It's a hacker is looking for a place to get in to take over your data. And so having the right system to not only to mitigate, but to simply lock the front doors and tie down the windows, right? Correct. Yep, that's the best way to prevent being a victim is to have good security and to make sure that you don't make it easy for the bad actors to take advantage of you. So that's what we're all about when we work with our clients. So let's talk a little bit, Ed, about, um, uh, let's talk a little bit about what it is that we uh, can look forward to in the future for technology that would involve small businesses. So uh, one of the things that we're doing now, and we're doing it increasingly, I think it's it's gaining more traction, is virtualized office technology. Uh, it's not it's not new. Uh, this has been around for a while, but sort of like the early days of cloud. It's initially um, the business community. I think especially the smaller business community is has been kind of reluctant to jump into it. But the advantages are so great. Uh, that the adoption, I think, is picking up now. And virtualized business technology just means that we shift all of the technology center out of your building and into uh, basically into cyberspace. We move it into um, a virtualized setting. And what that means is uh, when you log into your computer in the morning, it looks like your normal desktop that you would have on your, your uh, home computer or in your office, but the desktop actually lives in a secure architecture that's in our data center or some other data center. In our case, we we have our own data center. We own our own campus. We run our own architecture for virtualized office technology so we can control it and make sure it's as secure as possible. Uh, but the nice thing about that is that whether you're on your desktop system at your office or a laptop somewhere remotely or even on your tablet, you're seeing the same desktop and working in the same environment everywhere. As long as you have an internet connection, you're working in that environment that is centrally hosted. And the fact that we're able to centrally host it means we can centrally control it. We can control access uh, for individuals and levels of access. We're able to secure it uh, with uh, antivirus and anti-malware uh, deployed evenly across the entire architecture. We've got uh, complete backup and continuous data protection in there as well. It's very easy to onboard and offboard new clients. And all the equipment that's in the office, the home, or remotely, is just essentially a dumb terminal that brings you into this virtual architecture. 
uh, it's much easier for us to manage and control, which makes it much more cost effective for the client. And this is in comparison to the kind of older, more established way of having a bunch of PCs in an office. Everyone's ro- running a local OS with a local hard drive and the IT department kind of runs around. You know, they could do some things remotely, but they're also, you know, crawling under desks and things like that. And, and data is kind of scattered all about. There's really no central retention policy or no central security policy or storage policy, which is very common in... In small businesses, they kind of grow their IT um, like an amoeba, you know, with sort of random tentacles going out everywhere, but no central plan. And one day they realize this is such a mess. We don't know who has access to what. We're not sure where all the data is stored. We have no idea if we have security, um, you know, applied evenly. And then the day comes when somebody, maybe a disgruntled employee, leaves and leaves themselves a nice little back door to get in. And then problems ensue. And so we kind of mitigate all of that by virtualizing the technology. For the client, it's a little bit of a different idea to get comfortable with because nothing really lives in their office except for networking and a bunch of terminals uh, and maybe some, some local devices that they have to have like a printer. But uh, it once they get used to it, it becomes like this black box. It's just a turnkey solution. It just works. They never think about IT any, any, anymore. And we support everything onboarding and offboarding of new clients, uh, troubleshooting, and we do almost everything remotely. So they never have to wait for somebody to show up. If someone's having a problem, their computer won't boot for some reason, or they, you know, they can't, they got themselves locked out of their desktop. We can jump in there remotely and fix it in just a few minutes time. So it, it becomes this very, very, it's, it's basically IT as a service where they never really think about it. It just works. And that's becoming more and more common. We're doing a big implementation for, um, one of the animal hospitals out here that's going completely uh, virtualized office technology. We even do voice. So we can implement your IVR phone system extensions. We provide the hardware all pre-programmed. So you just plug it in and it works. And you, since it's all void, you can do it on your cell phone too. You don't have to have an office phone unless you want one. Um, so we kind of roll all of your office technology into one package that way. All virtualized, all centrally managed by us one fee per month, incredibly predictable costs. Uh, and once companies understand it, they absolutely love it. So I think that's going to become more and more the mainstream way of handling it. And especially smaller companies, you'll see less and less of them doing it the old way and having IT on staff and you know calling for break fix and having people deployed from some contractor to the site. That's going to become the old fashioned way uh, and less and less common as this virtualized stuff becomes more uh, the mainstream. Well, that's interesting because where the personal computer came from was a reaction to the large server and dumb terminal. And uh, that was, you know, almost captive by huge capital investment costs. And so we've moved from from the dumb terminal, big server. We moved from that to the personal computer and many of those personal computers went through local servers. And so now we've moved to AWS and uh, uh, your services so that we're so that there are our services are being provided online. I mean, for me, Google is the way that I live. I mean, Google Sheets, Google Docs, all of that is taken care of for me. I don't have to have a huge even a, even a huge hard drive for it. And so what I find so interesting is, is that for small businesses now, 
we're going back to that central server. It just happens to be in the sky uh, yep. to uh, and and. And now we talk about dumb terminals, but they're really they're really more than the dumb terminals that IBM had back in the 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 seventies. And and you're right. So first of all, you're absolutely right. We've come full circle, at least in the way that we think about this. Is the complexity of computers and and the amount of stuff we do uh, can make managing individual PCs more problematic. We're going back to what back in the nineties we used to call it the thin client architecture. And I think yeah. that's probably a better way to say than to call it a thin client rather than a dumb terminal. Because you're right, these can be your um, this could be your home uh, PC where you occasionally work from home, and they just have a little icon on their desktop. They click, and that puts them right into their work remote desktop. Could be also to be on their their laptop. Could be on, as I said, on a tablet. So that device is um, func- fully functional if they want it to be. But in the case of the uh, the, the the dedicated work platforms, whether they're work laptops or work uh, desktop workstations, uh, when we set this up, we'll wipe those and we'll put just a minimal uh, operating system install that basically just supports a remote desktop, boot into remote desktop. Uh, and so there's nothing stored. We even will we'll, uh, lock out the ability to write local files because the whole idea is control the storage and location of data. That's one of your other security functions. Don't let your data get scattered everywhere. Control where it can and can't live and who can access it. So they do become pretty much like terminals. And one of the great benefits of that is that your typical computer, fully functional PC life cycle, they say it's three years, 18 months and three years, whatever. People typically stretch it. But usually if your PC is more than four or five years old, you're wanting the latest thing because it feels old and sluggish and stuff. When you use this um, thin client methodology, we have clients using PCs that are 10, 12 years old, as long as they still work. It doesn't matter because all the heavy lifting is done in the cloud. All the heavy computing and and uh, and stuff that re- that requires a lot of number crunching power is done in our architecture. It's literally just a window into that. So it doesn't matter if it's a ten year old PC. So that so one of those fringe benefits of the way we do things is that our clients get a much longer uh, life cycle out of their hardware than they otherwise would. And, and now it is possible for. Uh that to you know for for somebody at home to run their machine and to access the uh, uh, the company the company interface is that right? Absolutely. If the company wants that to be part of their policy, they can the client can be set up uh, so that they can have access both from their um, their whatever their office workstation is, but also from home or on the road. And the nice thing about that is that they can have that or they can not have that. It's up to the customer. Our attitude is always minimize access to what you need. So if you need people in the field, you need someone from home and also in the office, but we don't leave it wide open. So we'll actually make allowances. We'll basically open up and accept for this person accessing from home or from for everywhere or this particular service from everywhere. But other than that, the rest of it's closed because that's part of the security policy. Minimize your attack surface. If you just leave everything wide open, it's super convenient because anybody can do anything from everywhere, but that includes all the uh, cyber criminals, right? They can also access. So that's and, the and whole thing. This, this is not using a VPN anymore, right? You're going directly through the internet. We, you know, we have done VPNs. Um, and we generally like to do VPNs when someone is, so the primary connection from the office location to mm-hmm. the uh, virtual architecture will be over a strong encryption VPN. 
um, because that's the most secure. You know, that actually encrypts the, uh, the the packets as they're moving through cyberspace. So they're completely tough. But there are some where we do a combination of that. And then also they have a situation like, well, we have this mobile guy in the field. He needs to be able to access these certain services from anywhere. And there's not really the capability to to do it effectively with a VPN for whatever reason. I mean, there's mobile VPNs now, but the, the, the short of it is if they need a certain thing more exposed, we can just isolate that and expose it by itself rather than exposing everything to make that one thing available. So again, it's all about do the minimum you need to acquire the access and nothing more. Right. So, uh, so, so this whole world of putting all my computing into uh, the cloud, which is really a server bank someplace in the world, right? That's the yes. cloud. The cloud and, is just and, someone else's computer. Right. And, and so it's, re it's really moving to uh, a bank of computers, uh, a bank of servers that's going to do all the computing for me. And I can simply uh, see through my computer, my desktop computer into that, that activity. Yep, you're just sending commands and receiving output. All right, so so what what other things do we see coming down the pike for us for small businesses? Well, um, I'm sorry to say it, but there's more and more talk about ransomware insurance, and and I think that is probably worth looking at. Now, I, I I'll have to defer to someone who studied this, you know, someone in the financial insurances industry who studied it more than me, so I don't know. Um, you know, how common that's becoming, how many carriers are doing it. Uh, but I do think that much like other things that are considered eventualities that have to be covered for, like fire, like theft, like flood, like other losses, I think that ransomware insurance is going to be part of more and more uh, companies' insurance package as time goes on. That's one. Okay. I think the other thing probably is going to be um, – and this has largely happened already, but it's surprising how many people are still kind of aware of it. The idea of owning software or owning hardware assets for IT um, is well on its way out. So for a long time now, software companies have gotten away from the purchase a license to subscribe to a license model. You're aware of this. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, and it, even desktop software now, even with some of the software, they still say, well, you purchase it. Like literally you buy a box of bits from, you know, uh, your office supply store or online, they send you a disc. Even then, you're you're not really buying a perpetual license in most cases. You're getting a base license, and then you're going to need to renew it, and that includes all your support, your updates, da-da-da-da-da. So essentially, it's still a subscription. Uh, and so that model's been there for a while, and now I think more and more we're going to see things like platforms, you know, desktops. Another area where there's been licenses for a while is, is output devices like NFPs, multifunction printers or multifunction devices. Those have become more and more kind of a, a licensing thing because you're usually leasing them rather than buying them outright. And if you buy it outright, if you want to support it, you're going to have to get a support contract. So basically, you're still licensing. I think it's kind of just going to go whole hog that we won't really own the technology. We'll just lease it. We'll just subscribe to it. Hardware and software and services will all be subscription and you won't actually purchase any assets, which means you won't be depreciating any assets anymore. So there'll be tax implications. But the reason that we'll do that is because it just really simplifies the model and it controls costs. It makes them predictable. If you know that you're going to get this package of things for X dollars and you'll have that for as long as you want to get it and they handle all the refreshing of any hardware and any support and any maintenance, 
uh, that's much more predictable than trying to acquire a bunch of assets that you own and then handle support, maintenance, and upgrades separately. So I think it's just going to become more of a common way to approach things. Well, two examples. One is uh, before COVID came, we had an office where my assistant and I were in the office and we had a conference room that we used for sessions for my clients. Uh, Come COVID and it all becomes uh, virtual. And so we're all remote for all of the sessions. So that meant January, uh, I just decided uh, I don't need all of this anymore. I'm not going to the office, so let's just let go. And and so that meant that the printer, uh, just an HP, simple HP printer that my assistant had been using and managing because uh, we had a you know a big Konica huge printer. Uh, but so this HP came home with me to my home office. Well, what I discovered was I couldn't just go out and buy uh, uh, ink. It is monitored by HP, and we pay a monthly fee. And when the ink is is low, in comes the package and put this into your computer. Well, that was amazing to me that they are monitoring my ink usage. Yep. Just reminded me that this is uh, what I have sitting on my desk is like the razor, and they're sending me the razor blades just like Gillette does every month for my razor blades, right? So that whole notion of they will take care of supplying uh, the, the, the tools that I need to use these machines. Yep. Likewise, with DirecTV, when there's a problem with the receiver... I just call and they tell me what to do. They fix it. And when there's an upgrade, they'll let me know. And they ship me a new receiver and I ship the old one back. No cost because I'm paying for it every month. It's amazing how, how uh, you know, we talk about software as a service, but it's more than software. It's a whole world where where we are paying a monthly fee for those things to be supplied. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I don't remember when it was, but I do think it was many years ago that HP figured out that they made more money on their consumables by far than they did their printers. And I mean, it was, it was well known. And so they said, okay, well, then we know where our bread's buttered. Let's make sure that that business is the business that we get the most of. So the subscription model for your consumables makes perfect sense. I mean, I think the, uh, the telecom guys, the, the cellular carriers figured this out a while ago because it's been at least a, uh, 10 or 15 years, maybe longer. They've been basically giving away a certain phones up to a point. Obviously, they won't necessarily give away like a new iPhone, but for a lot of their entry level phones, they just give it to you because that will get you into the subscription to the cellular service. Um, so, yeah, it's right. just going to become more pervasive, in my opinion, that that will become more and more common across all aspects of technology. Security is a service, uh, you know, computing infrastructure is a service, networking is a service. All these things exist kind of in their own little silos, uh, rolling it all together into one bundle that then becomes just uh, a subscription. It's just going to become bigger and bigger uh, and become more common even in larger organizations. Oh, I was surprised. Uh, I uh, went through a little a little uh, shift in uh, in my tablet, my iPad tablet, because the new iPad was coming out. So I wanted to wanted to get that, but there was a space in between 
where I had turned in my old iPad, which was like a generation two waiting for this generation five. And so I had a space there where they didn't have an iPad and it dawned on me. I wonder if there's a place where I could rent a fourth generation iPad for a month, not, not any more than a month. San Diego, call them up hundred bucks overnight. Here's my iPad. When I finish erase it, ship it back. They gave me a, a you know, a, a return shipping label. Boom. It's amazing. It's amazing how we've moved from uh, goodness. You know, my first Apple IIe was an enormous process of buying that and owning it. And uh, just amazing difference. We are moving in so fast right now. Yes. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think that's that, again, with that experience you had, I think that's just going to become the standard. I mean, buying and owning hardware, just really, it's not, a, it, that was the model. I mean, those those big beasts back then, the big, you know, the original, uh, you know, um, high-end computers were, you know, oftentimes over $2,000 in 1980s money. I don't, you know, do the math now. I'm not sure what that is. I think it's probably north of $10,000. And you're right. It was a huge deal to acquire it and set it up. And there was, it was like this big pride of ownership thing. Yeah. I really think that model is, is it's seen some of its final days right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah, that'll be a trend. Um, you know, um, since we're moving away, we're moving more and more into everything being service oriented. So in terms of the computing environment, I think that the operating system, the, the actual, uh, you know, the, the operating environment itself uh, will become less and less part of the picture. I think Microsoft has been experiencing this for some time with the way that Windows, I mean, they started you know, Windows 10 kind of said, this is our final, we're never going to do another version of Windows. We'll just keep updating this one. And they were giving it away for free and, you know, implementing it in the cloud and whatnot. Um, and, you know, so many of us, we do so much, as you mentioned, you know, we're Google uh, Advantage partners. So that's one of the, we're, we're big on the, what used to be called G Suite. Now it's called uh, Workspace or Workplace. Uh, that whole suite of tools, email, uh, productivity apps, et cetera. Uh, others like the Office 365 environment. Either way, you're using a browser in most cases that could be running on any platform. It could be on a Windows desktop, an Apple desktop. It could be on a Linux desktop. It could be on this Chromebook that I'm using now and almost doesn't matter. It's just a, a window into a standardized technology. Uh, so those environments are gonna become less and less uh, important or uh, distinguished. I think they'll all start to look pretty much the same and we won't really know or care what environment we're using because it's the end process that matters to us. Uh, whereas before, you remember the Windows versus Apple Wars, which are still going oh. on, you know, are, we're, we're legendary. And to this day, you still have the diehards on either side. But, you know, they're they're kind of looking backward, looking forward. I think it's going to become very much, uh, you know, operating system agnostic. That'll be so far down in the plumbing. We won't even notice it anymore. I listened to WWDC from yesterday, uh, the snippets from it last night. And, 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 you know, Apple is talking about all the new things and, and what they're really doing is, is they're cutting the edge, cutting through and uh, others will follow. But it's, it's interesting to see all the kind of creativity that comes out. It used to be Microsoft was doing that, but I don't see them doing much anymore. But, but Apple has uh, uh, this, this, uh, what, what would happen if you could do this and how would this connect and what would and a lot of that, which is interesting to me. I don't think it's always, uh, you know, a major business opportunity for, for my clients, 
but it, it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. Sure. Well, sure. Ed, Ed sure. thank you very much for being. This has been uh, it's been a lot of fun. So, tell us uh, how would people get in touch with you if they wanted to access that uh, vulnerability, a uh, cyber vulnerability uh, test that you have. Oh, any number of ways. So our website is datacate, that's D-A-T-A-C as in Charlie, A-T-E dot net and dot com gets you to the same place. So it doesn't matter. Um, and then, um, you know, there's uh, our main numbers on there. There's a contact form that they could use to submit. My direct email is just edledl at datacate dot com. So they could always email me directly. Um, so ring me up, email me or use the contact form. I'm happy to uh, talk to anyone would like to learn more about that and get a vulnerability scan and just talk about uh, cybersecurity. I mean, our, you know, our position, of course, is that the last thing we want to see is a customer have a cybersecurity incident. It's, it's hugely painful for them and it's usually painful for us to, to mitigate yeah. it. So, so the more people I can see get to a place where they're, they have the absolute minimum risk of that, the better, you know, whether they're yeah. clients or not, ultimately it benefits all of us. And we always Excellent. want to help people get there. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Ed. This has been a lot of fun and uh, great conversation. I look forward to talking with you again soon uh, because we have have a lot of clients that are that are in the same the same marketplace. So we might be able to to talk about helping them. This is just one more example of how businesses in California thrive. You've been listening to the Pilgrim on the four hundred five with Will Christ. 